This is Utah Survivors Podcast with your host, Brandon and Alex. In the world of true crime TV, we're bringing you the story straight from the survivors. Victims don't become survivors without the help of a community. So every week, we will have a 30-minute interview alternating between a survivor of crime and an organization that helps victims in similar situations. Due to the graphic nature of crime, many of the topics we discuss may be difficult for some listeners. If you are in crisis or triggered by these discussions, please reach out to local and national hotlines listed on our website, utahsurvivors.org. Uh, welcome back to another episode of Utah Survivors, and today we've got Tyler from Operation Underground Railroad. Thanks for coming. Yeah, thanks for having me, guys. So, do you want to tell us a little bit about you and what got you into this work, and then we'll go from there? Yeah, so um, I have been working anti-trafficking since uh, 2013. Um, so, um, you know, I grew up in Wyoming, um, very small town person, grew up just very sheltered life, very uh, good life in just the, in Star Valley, Wyoming, that's where I'm from. And so um, I lived in the Dominican Republic for a couple years. And while I was there, um, just get exposed, you know, a different world, poverty, abuse. And, and I'll never forget the the girls that I would see on the street interacting with uh, European men, American men, girls were like 14, 15 years old, very dressed very provocatively. And like these old guys would be like hanging out with them. They'd be touching them. They'd be kissing them. And like that image, like it just didn't feel right. Didn't look right. Uh, but I didn't know what was going on. Um, so I come back uh, from living down there. I learned about the issue of human trafficking, like what that was and that there's, there's more slaves today and in, in, at the time, 2013, that there ever was in the history of humanity. And that um, that island, the Dominican Republic in Haiti, uh, there was a large amount of slaves living and working uh, on that island in um, different capacities, labor trafficking, sex trafficking, organ harvesting. And so, yeah, I was just, I just moved. Like I just wanted to do something to help, um, but d- didn't quite know what to do, which I imagine, you know, a lot of people weren't there exposed to. Um, something so awful, a, a crime, um, an injustice like that, like feel motivated to do something. So I went down again. Um, I did like, um, I wouldn't say it was like undercover, but I, you know, I did my research. So I would go to these places where they were selling, you know, these, these 13, 14 year old girls. Um, and I would go to these clubs and I'd go in, I'd be like, well, that 13 year old girl over there, I want to buy her time. I'm not going to do anything with her. I just want to buy her dinner. And, you know, these pimps were like, man, get out of my club. Like, you're a cop. Like, you better get out of here. And I was like, what is she worth? And and they'd usually say, you know, 20 bucks, 25 bucks. And I was like, okay, I'll give you 50 for 20 minutes of her time. Just let me buy her dinner. And, like, money speaks to, like, that kind of person. It's willing to sell, yeah. like, a human being. And so I would, yeah, I'd sit down with these with these kids and just trying to get their story. And just so many of them said the same story. of They thought they were accepting a waitressing job or this guy promised them education. They were taken from one area to the next um, to work in this job. And then when they got there, you know, the traffickers were like, you're actually going to go to work in this type of work. And um, you have a debt you're supposed to pay off. And if you run away or you tell anybody, like we know where your family lives and we'll come after your family. And so I'll never forget one night, it was like, I was so like shook of just like the injustice of it. I was having dinner with like this 15 year old girl. Um, and you could just tell she came from just a very innocent background. And so, she, you know, when I first spoke to her, she was so nervous. She was like, uh, my name is, she gave me her name. Um, 
I just let her know. I was like, hey, I'm not here to, I'm not here to do anything with you. I just want to talk. And like, you would have thought I just told her like she just won the lottery. Like just yeah. this relief flooded over her face. And she was like, I've been here for three days. My first night, one of my clients asked for anal sex. And I didn't know what that was. I didn't know what anal sex was. And so my traffickers basically put me in a room and made me watch three days of anal sex pornography to prepare me for when my first client asked for anal sex, I'll know what to do next time. And she's like, I was thought you're gonna be my first client. And so it's just like the like the the fact that like that was happening in 2013 um to these to these kids was just an injustice that I couldn't I couldn't live with if if I didn't do something about like I thought like I found my my purpose in life to to help and you know passion is such an interesting word. I I don't love the word passion. I feel like passion is fleeting. Yeah. But um purpose, like if you find your purpose, like something that you feel like you're born to do and you couldn't live with yourself if you're doing anything else. I thought I, I thought I'd found that. Um and so I started my own nonprofit, a little nonprofit that, that helped with aftercare with girls that had been rescued from human trafficking, that had been raped or that had been involved in uh, child pornography. Um I worked that for um about a year and a half. Um uh, the nonprofit started to grow. I wasn't needed as much like on the ground. I could do more of like the fundraising, the awareness and very small, very small operation. I think that the highest grossing year we had finances wise was like $18,000, like just so, very, very yeah. small, but you know, it was effective because nobody was paid and good mission. Yeah. It was awesome mission. And it's continued to expand. Um, when it started to expand to other places, that's when I, you know, I had to focus on building the organization because it would, you know, we, we found a case in Guatemala of a girl that was trafficked by MS-13 or a girl in Colombia that was trafficked by mom and dad. And so, like, we wanted to help. So, we just continued to expand, expand our mission, expand our reach. And so, I moved back. The nonprofit started to grow. I wasn't needed as much um, on the ground. Um, got my schooling. And, and shortly after, Operation Underground Railroad had a spot come open uh, in their aftercare division. And it took me all of 30 seconds to to accept their offer to me and... And so now, yeah, um, my you, you probably had like the only one with experience. Like, by the way, I have been doing aftercare for yeah. this many years on my own. <laughs> yeah, they're like, tell me your experience. I was like, oh man, you know, yeah, just the last seven years. You know, I started when I was twenty-one, just kept going, and yeah, like, I and, just moved to another country to help kids. Yeah, 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 yeah. It was awesome, and um, so I did, I did that, and um, so yeah, it took all of thirty seconds to accept, and so that's my responsibility now. Is when. When a survivor is rescued, um, basically in the region of Latin America, is to help them either get home to their family if their family is a safe place, um, you know. But as you know, Alex, unfortunately, um, a large percentage of traffickers are immediate family. Yeah. And so a lot of times the girls uh, and the boys can't go back home to their family. And so in that case, we help them get into a safe house, a house that can offer them mental health therapy, education, vocational training, and then help them get connected to any kind of resources to basically like follow their dreams and to become what they that they want to be and, and that's what i do that's what my day looks like day in and day out and um and i love it and and the organization is great i love OUR and, and what it does and and i just feel honored to be a part in this greater mission that is the eventual hopefully eradication of modern day slavery yeah and that goal is huge and will take years but it's an admirable goal yeah um so when so what does because we'll talk about aftercare more but what does OUR do yeah, so OUR was founded in uh, I think the same year that I started my little shindig. It's uh, it was started in 2013 by by a guy named Tim Ballard. Um, he worked with the government, um, saw some areas where, um, where an NGO could help empower a government to do their job better when it came to the extraction of children from exploitation, and um, he made a few promises that he couldn't keep. Um, uh, 
with cases that didn't have a U.S. nexus. And when you're working in the United States government, if the case doesn't have a U.S. nexus, if there's not a U.S. pedophile, a trafficker, or perpetrator, and there's not a U.S. kid, it's hard to justify the use of taxpayer money to go and do that operation. And um, yeah, you know, Tim has a, he has a great heart, and he wanted to help those kids that didn't have the nexus to the United States. And so he left. He started OUR, gathered um, the experts that he had met in in local government, CIA, former law enforcement, uh, current law enforcement. Um, and so that's, that's what we do is we we help rescue kids from trafficking. And so um, depending on the situation uh, in different states, different countries could look a little different. Sometimes they're their need is more of an undercover capacity where we send our guys in. They pretend to be the American pedophiles. They interact with the traffickers. They gather evidence, present that to local governments. Um, sometimes it's training, um, giving governments training to like how to infiltrate the dark web, how to um, how to properly conduct a search warrant. Um, sometimes it's it's like honestly like we were talking before the show about dogs. Sometimes yeah. it's a dog. Like we have we have this awesome uh, program that. Like these dogs that you can train the dogs um, to sniff out the adhesive that that goes on to like the the microchips, the USB files, and so like these perpetrators that hide their child pornography and couch cushions and shower heads and and old shoes and and whatever. Like you bring the dog in on a search warrant, he can sniff that out, and it just adds another charge wow. to those perpetrators. Yeah, that's cool. Yeah, it's crazy. Like it's like, you wouldn't thought? think that that would have a specific scent. Yeah, even. you wouldn't like. Yeah, and it's crazy that they and so like it's cool because these dogs like become the heroes. Like these dogs are the ones like they're helping saving these kids and and so some agencies want that. Like they want like the dog that can go sniff out that stuff and um, and some agencies like don't have the funding to um, conduct these these proactive investigations. They can't pay their officers overtime or they can't rent like the the Heartbreak Hotel, the Sting House. And in that case, like we'll help cover those costs as well. And so any kind of need that we identify with local governments, um, we help try to fill that need and then um, hopefully train them and empower them to do rescues and operations even when we're not present, which is how this is that how this thing is eventually going to get eradicated. Yeah. So you do this thing, kids are rescued, and I can guarantee that there's positive and negative views from the children. Um, then how does your side step in as aftercare? Yeah. So my side, we, we like to be on site when, when the raid happens, when the rescue happens, um, to ensure that basically the, the children's rights are, are met, that they... Cause a lot of these, a lot of these government agencies, they want to do so much good, but you know, they're just learning in this process. And so like, even like a thing of like separating bad guys from the kids is something that's kind of foreign to them. And so in that case, we can help train them and be like, Hey, if he makes eye contact with these kids, like they're going to get more fearful. Um, they might not collaborate later on. So like these two have to be separated and, um, like the, the kids have to know that they are not in trouble. Like they are not the ones that are under arrest. They, it's, it's him or her. It's not the kids. And so when we're on site, like there's the immediate side of it where it's um, getting them resources right then and there, like making sure that they're fed, that they have clothing, um, that they have uh, hygiene supplies, giving them some puzzles even to like keep their mind busy while the investigation takes place, taking them to medical. Um, I remember one case we had, we, we were down in like the boonies of the Amazon river. Like I never even heard of this town before we ended up there. Um, and we did this uh, operation there. We called the operation R and R and there was a girl there. She's about 15 years old and she was probably eight months pregnant. And the trafficker, um, she 
he he had starved her for the last three days in order to make her look more appealing to when he sold her to these American tourists. Um, and so the first thing that we did when she, you know we were talking to her, she's like, "I'm starving. I haven't eaten in three days." We got her some food. That's like the very first, like, let's meet those basic needs and let's get them taken care of. And so once they go to medical, we can figure out their case, um, look what their family situation looks like. Um, you know, you know, best case scenario, their family's a safe place and they can go back home and we can train the families on like what, what signs of trafficking looks like and help give the family some resources. Um, in a lot of situations, uh, the family is, is no good. Um, one of the most impactful cases that I ever worked in my career um, was a case of child pornography involving two little girls, um, seven years old and five years old, and they were being trafficked by their mother. And so their mother was basically had like this Facebook group with these pit pedophiles from Pittsburgh. And she Pittsburgh would, pedophiles. Yeah. It has a ring to yeah, it. Yeah. Pittsburgh pedophiles. <laughs> yeah. Yeah. They were terrible. They would, um, they would, they had this Facebook group and the pedophiles would send in requests for the older sister who was seven to enact on the five-year-old sister. And then she, the mother would pay, was paid via Bitcoin based on every sexual act that little girl would, would, would do. Um, and so our team went in, um, we trained the local police on how to um, gather evidence from that case. It was being uploaded onto Facebook, arrested the mother, obviously. And then with the aftercare, like obviously those kids are not in a, not in a safe place. Like they can't go back with family. So we helped um, find and vet an organization that could take care of those kids. Um, and the government, like to their credit, like they wanted to provide the best care of, for these kids, but they wanted to place them in a in a home for teenagers, um, which, you know, two little girls, that's... It wouldn't be a safe place for them, especially because in those types of homes, those girls have their own trauma that they don't understand and they then become the predators themselves yeah, exactly so we we took uh we took those girls placed them in a, a home that more appropriate for their age um and then like with that home in general like we just work with that home um and they they came with to this idea and this idea was it was pretty out of the box um it was like we want to start a voc- vocational training program for this home involving rabbits and it's like okay like tell me more like what does that mean it's like well like you know you rabbit meat in this country is like steak like it's very high class and rabbits are very easy to breed we just need funding to build this rabbit farm and to purchase these rabbits and then we keep them separate we have the male rabbits here the female rabbits there have meat in the middle every once in a while have them reproduce and then you have these rabbits lots and lots of rabbits yeah lots and lots of rabbits and so um so yeah we were like okay like sounds good let's do it and so we helped fund that um and so when when we went down to visit these kids in their country, it, like the moment was impactful to me because I remember where they came from of being exploited by their own mother. And now they're in this home that we're helping support with this vocational training. And they're the ones that explain to us that whole process of like, this is how the rabbits breed. This is how we, we, we eat their meat. This is how we can sell their fur. And this is how we make money when we're 15, 16, 17, 18, like whenever they decide to leave the home. Um, and so that's, that's kind of what the aftercare process looks like as a whole from, from OUR's perspective is how do we um, provide the best possible care for the survivors and get their um, homes, the resources to where they can improve their quality of care. And it sounds like it's unique to each situation. So it's not like here, check the box. If you've gone to therapy, you have groceries, okay, good job. Yeah, exactly. Yeah. Yeah. <laughs> Which is nice. For sure. Yeah, there's no, uh, I don't think there's a cookie cutter solution for anybody. And uh, that's what that's what makes it fun is every every situation is a little unique, unique and uh, every survivor is a little bit different and their needs are a little bit different. And um, so we do our best to get them every, every, all those needs met and get them on a path to healing. Would you say, 
kind of going back to um, these girls that had their mother trafficking them, would you say that's the majority of cases or a high amount of cases where it's family members that either sold them or are actively trafficking these girls? Yeah, I would say um, the majority of those cases, yeah, there's some kind of family member or some kind of known commodity, known person that, that's doing the exploitation. Um, like people ask me all the time of like, I'm sure they ask you guys too about taken. And it's like, does that like how often does that happen? And that does happen. Like that does like that's real. Like people do kidnap and, and traffic in other countries, but it's it's not the norm. Like the norm is it's it's the boyfriend. It's uh, majority it's, of cases are someone that just like in rape cases in general, it's someone that's known to the to the victim. Yeah, you stole my line. Just kidding. <laughs> it's all right. You do it all the time. <laughs> yeah, you guys are both right. It's um. Yeah, it, it's the ones that are known. It's very rarely, you know, it does happen, but it's very rare that it's like just some stranger that comes and kidnaps and traffics. It's usually... So stranger danger is, you know, obviously a real thing, but it's it's not where the majority of these are happening. We need to be worried about people in our own communities, really. Yeah, yeah. Like, um, I'm trying to think even like this week. I mean, there's neighbor, there's uncle, stepdad, aunt, best friend, um, you just like with your kids, um, you just have to be aware of like who they're interacting with and, you know, stranger danger. Yeah, it is important. Like for sure, like kidnapping and like that situation does happen, but just, uh, stranger danger. And then like caution with people because yeah. you just never know like who, who is going to end up being a perpetrator. And I like, cause like, if you look at the studies, it shows like your kids need to know what's appropriate and what's not. And they need to also know that they have control of their bodies and, they can talk to their parents. And, for sure. And safe adults don't keep secrets. Yeah. For sure. Oh, my kid probably has horror stories. And <laughs> he's going to grow up and be like, my mom made sure I wasn't kidnapped or molested. <laughs> yeah. we, never, we never share any. There's nothing that's not shared in my household. Oh, yeah. Totally. It's awesome. I know. The other day he was like, mom, I'm getting to the age where I don't think I want you to see me naked and it's my body so I can make the rules. And I was like, go for it, kid. That's I'll right. turn on the shower and I'll walk out. That's go right. There you it. go, buddy. <laughs> so it's that's just awesome. kind of funny. But so if you, so you're helping these victims in aftercare, how off, how long do you guys work with them? Does um, it vary or? Yeah, it varies. Um, we will be with them as long as they'll have us. Um, so like uh, we just helped a girl, uh, man, like a, maybe a month ago. She, we've been working with her for about four years and we just helped her get um, some new dental implants because her front four teeth were rotting. And, um, and yeah, she's been with us for, for a long time, ever since I've been with the organization and, and, uh, you know, we, we always, um, communicate with, to those survivors, like, we'll, we'll be with you as long as you'll have us. Like, we'd love to be like at your baby showers, at your weddings, um, you know, whatever your, your kids' baptisms. Um, we want to like share those life moments with you. Um, uh, but you know, not every, not every survivor is like that. Like some survivors, they take that service and then they want to forget everything that happened with that former life. And so they've been, okay, I'm good to this point. And, and we respect that. Like that's, that's their decision. And, um, and the age ranges vary as well. Like we, um, OUR as a whole, like when we do investigations, like we go after the kids cause that's what's universally illegal is, um, child prostitution children that are prostituted is universally illegal um however if we encounter you know a 21 year old or a 25 year old or even just recently you know like a 35 36 year old like we will um help rescue that person as well because um while no child should ever be exploited like take that one step further no person should ever be exploited and 
And, you know, one of the saddest cases that um, I can remember that I try to communicate to people too, because for whatever reason, with some people, their level of compassion goes down when a survivor turns 18. And it really just breaks my heart. It drives me nuts. Yeah, because it's, it's so sad. And because you know that that exploitation started when they were kids. Yeah. And so like there's there's a street in Central America um, where there's just lines of shacks and just, uh, you know, the women stand outside and wait for someone to to rape them. And I remember being on the street for the first time and we were doing an outreach because we were trying to get some of these um, women to come to a vocational training program in a different part of the city. And like there's all these shacks just as far as the eye could see. And there are women there in their mid-50s, early 60s. And to me, that, that's just heartbreaking to think of just mm-hmm. the life of exploitation that they've had and how people have bought and sold like this, like, like her worth has been determined by how much people will pay for her like their, her whole life and to her me, like, body. Yeah. And it's just heartbreaking. It's just like, you see, like you see that and it's just like, no, yes, no child should ever be exploited, but you know, no adult should ever be exploited um, no, yeah. as well. And so, and we recently, you know, I say recently, but in the last couple of months we had Dahlia's hope who helps a lot of adult trafficking survivors as well, which is really cool. And she had the founder there has roots with, Oh, you are. Yeah. Yeah. So yeah, they, they provide a it just there's not enough resources like that in the United States where yeah. they offer services to adults and so um, and you know it's just people raising awareness of like hey this happens to adults too and it's still just as sad like exploitation yeah. does not discriminate based on age no so I think it's awesome and it's like the second they turn 18 they're now a prostitute not a victim of child sex trafficking yeah as if like traffickers somehow decide to obey the law like yeah. not to hold somebody <laughs> captive when they turn like, well you're 18 now you're so 18 now, now. I so now you're an adult yeah, yeah. Now we need to sign a legal binding contract and, uh, yeah. Yeah. No. An NDA. And yeah. Uh, it's like, <laughs> it doesn't work that way. Yeah. Come on, fam. So you mentioned female and male traffickers. If you could guess the percentage, because I think everyone thinks that, oh, it's just these men. And I think there needs to be awareness that women tra- go play into trafficking too. Yeah. Yeah. Percentage wise, uh, just speaking personally, I, I don't know if there's like a stat that like a big like academic organization has come out with like shared hope or something yeah. like that. But from my experience, I would say the percentage of buyers is 99.5% men. Like there is a small percentage of women that are also buyers, but the majority of the buyers are men. The traffickers, I would probably say 60, 40, 60% men, 40% women. That's interesting. Yeah. To me. And as you know, just that, from a personal that's a standpoint. way higher, yeah, that's a way higher percentage of like women than I would think. Yeah. So when I was at your office the other day, you told us a story about buying someone a fridge. Yeah. And that was my favorite. I thought about it like all week. Oh, that's awesome. And I think that's interesting because this victim didn't engage for a while. Yep. And just wanted to start her life. Yeah. But then knew you guys were there when she needed something. Yeah. Yeah. This, uh, yeah, this girl, she's awesome. She's, uh, now 20 years old. Um, so we rescued her in this operation called the operation Barbarossa was named of the operation. And we're helping a local government in Central America, um, work, uh, a narco trafficking, um, ring that was also trafficking, uh, kids. And so I still remember the setting that the op happened. It was this massive lake and, um, the cops came in, um, and they were so respectful to the girls. Like I was so proud of like the law enforcement that moment. They had them all fed. They were very creative on like how to also offer services to the adults that were there. 
And so this girl, um, you know, we'll, we'll call her Alex. Like, we'll, we'll, we'll use oh, your yes, name. Yeah, go for we'll, it. we'll call her Alex. Yeah, we, we rescued her and she went into an aftercare home. Um, she was 16 and a half, 17 at the time. And she, yeah, like she, when she, when she aged out, like she was like, I just want to be, you know, I just want to start my new life. I want to start my own business and like just almost like leave me alone for a bit. And we always respect that. Like our partners did, we did. And she, she recently came into contact with, Another girl that was rescued in that same operation that we have been super involved with that lives in the same town. And so she was like, yeah, like these guys, like they've helped me, um, they've helped me like get some new teeth. They've helped me with a laptop so I can, um, go to school. The same survivor that she's working with, she sent us a request for a typewriter. She was like, I need to type for college. I need, I don't think I can afford the typewriter. We were like, no. Nope. No, <laughs> we're gonna get you. No. Can't even find ribbons anymore on those things. Yeah, no kidding. It's like nope. We're gonna we're gonna. If you're, that's that's super sweet. But like, we want to get you a laptop. Let's get you the tools that you have to compete with the other students on your level. And so she connected with this girl. And so this girl then approached us, and she was like, hey, "You remember me?" And we're like, "Of course." She was like, "Yeah, like I have this business that I open on weekends. Like, I have a son now. Um, I'm twenty 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 one, and she's like, I have this business where I take. I would like to sell full time, but it's just really hard." Um, I have these tables that I that I I stole that were thrown out from another restaurant. I went to the dump and I and I I stole them, um, and then like my my neighbor has it's this trash. Fridge. It's not stolen. Yeah, she's yeah <laughs> yeah. She she she's very creative. Like she there's there's strengths that she learned during her exploitation that she's now utilizing to be successful in her business. Yeah, it's, and so um, she's I'm super proud of her. She's great. She and she ha- she does not have a fridge personally, but her friend who lives two blocks away has a fridge and then she has a fire stove um and so she she sells two days or two days a week she uses the fire stove so cooking is very slow and when she saves food or she goes back and forth like get the juice she has to like walk two blocks walk back just to pour a drink and so she she was talking to us and she you know, when we, when we were engaging with her, she was talking like some of the services that we offer, um, you know, some of her education, some of it is helping out with some vocational stuff. Um, and so we were, we were talking about like continue education. If she wanted to go to college, if she needed some kind of like upgrade in technology and like she was interested, but not like she was like, yeah, like that seems good. But then we started talking about like her business. And we're like, wow, like, that's how you like you have a fridge that you use in, in your neighbor's house that's two blocks away. So how long does it take you to walk there? She's like, oh, not that long, like 20 minutes there, 20 minutes back. I'm like, oh, my God. <laughs> And to, so she, to fill so she, a drink to fill a drink and she, but she's talking like it's and i was like well like let me let me give you like if you in like in your world like what would be helpful to you in your business and she was like well if i had like a nice central table and i had a real stove and if i had a fridge it was in my house like that would be that would be ideal for my business i could then open five days a week and so I was like, Alex, like, why don't we do, why don't we do that? Like, what did you think about that? And she's like, oh, is that even an option? I was like, of course that's an option. Of course that's an option. And she was yeah. like, well, like, well, in that case, like I can get you prices and I can, I'll even like see if I can barter. She's like, and it would be great. Cause this, like this store that sells fridges, if I go and I, I take out money from Western Union, I don't have to pay for a ride back to my house because this, this person does free delivery with fridges. And so I can save money on my, on my, on the ride back. I can just ride with them. And so she's like, you can see like her creativity, like start to move. She's street smart. Yeah. And she's, and she's so, she's so brilliant and she's so great to work with. And so we're like, well, let's do that. Like you give me some, you give me a budget for like this, for this fridge and let's try this out. Let's see how your sales do. Let's see how they improve. Well, that's what she did. Like, we, we, she gets in some prices. She was like, there's two places. One is like a hundred bucks, but this place, because it's going out of business due to the COVID pandemic, it's 79 bucks. So I think we should get that one. And that, this one will deliver. I can catch a ride with them. So I save 10 bucks on transportation, getting to the bank. 
And so she had it all worked out perfectly. And like, and so she like sent us receipts of like, this is how much I've sold this day. I was able to buy my son like the sweet new like plastic like bike, you know, you know what I'm talking about? Like, yeah. 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 yeah I don't know how to explain it, but it's like this plastic bike that kids can ride. It looks like a motorcycle. Like the little Strider bike. Yeah. Yeah. Exactly. Yeah. yeah so she, she's like, had enough money to buy that for his birthday. And, and she, like, she's just so, like, she's so smart. She has these skills that she learned um, on the streets. Um, and it's something that she's passionate about. Like this restaurant that she has, she's passionate about. And so we were able to come alongside when she was ready and feel those needs for her so that she could, she could let her business grow. And like, we, we didn't do anything. We just provided a little bit of, a little bit of capital to allow her to do that. And now she, she's off and running and now we're so proud of her. And that's, that's kind of the, the journey that we want to take with these survivors is find out what they're passionate about, what they want to do, give them the tools to let, to, to, to let them do that and then watch them flourish. So when they aren't safe going home, how like where do you do they go usually? Yeah, so if they're not safe going home, um, there are different aftercare facilities, different orphanages across the world um, that uh, that help take care of these kids. Um, so with the with the rise of the anti trafficking movement, there's been a lot of NGOs that have come forward and have offered to provide the aftercare portion of that, and so. Um, there's a lot of Christian ministries that will that will take in these kids. Um, there's a lot of Catholic nuns. Like nuns are amazing. I think you mentioned that your dad was Catholic. Like, oh yeah, uh, Catholic nuns. Like those I mean, those people are like the unsung heroes of like the anti trafficking. I mean, he movement. has stories of like Catholic school and getting whipped with rulers. So uh, I don't yeah. know if he thinks they're <laughs> the <awesome>. heroes. <laughs> they they are so like they, the houses that they run are just uh, like they're so like just well run and and the girls have so many different resources there. Um, and so there are homes that exist. Um, and then there's government homes as well. There's government homes that are funded uh, by the government. Usually those offer um, s- a less quality of care. And so that's another thing that we'll do is um, we will uh, help improve the quality of care inside those government homes. Like, for example, uh, my old nonprofit, they recently started funding a vocational training aspect inside a government shelter in Central America. Um, in different, if different homes in this country, like you just get all these different resources, a chance to like share your story. You get three meals a day, a nice bed, um, outings to different, you know, volcano, different lakes. You just get a lot of opportunities. But if you're sent to a government home, you get basically two meals a day and, and a used mattress. Um, so in that case, like we want to come alongside the government home if our, you know, if our kids are placed there and help improve the quality of care. And so, um, we've recently funded a, um, or my old nonprofit has recently funded a vocational training program inside this home. So the girls can uh, take beauty classes where they can, uh, it's crazy. Like all the stuff they bought. I don't understand a lot of it because like that's <laughs> so outside of my realm. But I like, I mean, you don't highlight your hair on a daily basis. No, 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 I don't. So like, yeah, so like highlights, that's one thing that they, that they have. They have the, like these special scissors that don't actually cut your hair. They thin your hair just totally oh, yeah. like, i had no idea it even existed um like these foot bath spas um that, that they <laughs> you bought. really aren't a pamperer no, like no, these no, foot no, bath no. thingies <laughs> no yeah these foot bath things i guess i don't know what they do with them but anyway so 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 it's cool to see that that the girls that then go into this home can receive some kind of vocational training so when they leave they can go to like these salons they can go to these beauty parlors and they can apply for a job just on the same level as anybody else be like i learned this skill and this is why you should hire me and and so that's what we do. Like they're with the state run programs, like usually they do offer a lower quality of care, but there are ways that we can come alongside and help boost their quality of care at the same time. If you had to ever relocate people to different countries and help them start all over because of safety? Uh y- yes. Um it's very rare, but yeah. Um yeah, it's sometimes there have been cases where 
um, we've had to relocate uh, survivors due to their own safety and due to like corruption and due to traffickers not being arrested. And um, yeah, I can't share like where those are no, at this point. Don't but share. yeah, <laughs> but yeah, it has happened. Yeah, yeah but rare, but it does. We are prepared if that happens. And yeah, so it's cool to hear that you like meet at every level depending on where they're at. Yeah, yeah. Anywhere from like just, you know, you need a fridge, let's get you a fridge to like, oh, you need to leave the country and start a new life. Let's get to work. So I was exploring your website earlier today before we had this interview just to kind of brush up a little bit more. So I was a little more knowledgeable on the, the things that you do. And I saw that there is a new portion of your aftercare, which was called Children Need Families. Can you talk a little bit more about that? Yeah, so that brainchild actually stemmed from uh, Tim's wife, um, Catherine. So, and um, Tim is the founder, yeah, right? Yeah, and yeah Catherine Tim is, is his wife. Yeah, okay. yeah. So, um, in one of our early operations, um, we did this uh, operation in Haiti, where it was this orphanage that was uh, basically like an illicit orphanage. It was just basically used the earthquake to collect kids that didn't have any homes and sell those kids. Um, so um, we did this rescue up there. I, I believe the number was, I believe the operation was called Voodoo Doll. And they did, uh, I think three people were arrested and 32 kids rescued. And of those 32 wow. kids, um, Tim and his wife um, adopted two of those kids, which was like a, a four year long journey. Um, a lot of honestly, like obviously contracts and some funding went into that as, as an interdop- international adoption usually does. Um but the, but they eventually brought those two kids home uh, here to uh, the United States and are and now live in a, with a happy family of nine oh. of nine kids. <laughs> I yeah. mean, I thought my one was one. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, I don't know how they do it. They just got to be like uh, nine kids. That's that's crazy. No, but so they brought them home, and like so, this this passion really lit in them of just like 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 a legit work. Our joy is so full with these two kids. If other like children need families, like if there's a way we can facilitate that with other families, because I think a lot of families uh, want to adopt. Yeah, mm-hmm. I mean, it's a desire. That, I mean, I can't tell you like how many people have told me growing up, like I'd love to adopt one day. I just don't know how to do it, or I can't afford it. And so, um, children need families is basically like helping bridge the gap between those two words. Like they, we vet families that want to adopt um, one of these kids from um, one of these aftercare homes. Um, and there's there's certain countries that allow adoption, some don't um, because of what's happened in the past or some of the corruption allegations in these different countries when it comes to adoption. Like we recently experienced in Utah with uh, that one attorney in the Marshall Islands. Oh, I yeah, think. that's he right. Was, he was facilitating and basically selling the children into adoption. Yeah. Kind of thing. And he got hit with a trafficking charge, didn't he? A lot of them. Wow, I bet yeah. he did. Yeah. Federal, yeah. federal and state. Yeah. So. so it's people like that. It's a great example that have really ruined the adoption, uh, have ruined like the word adoption in many of these countries' mind when it comes to the United States because there's, there's people like that. Yeah. But the countries that do still allow international adoptions, we help facilitate, um, we help help families kind of walk through that process of like, here's how you get started. Here's who you talk to. Here's who you work with vetted agencies that we vetted. I'm here in Utah and then other areas uh, of the, of the United States. And then um, when it comes to like costs, um, we also help cover some of those costs as well. So that cost to go pick them up or the cost to just those, those costs that appear when you're trying to adopt yeah. um, a kid internationally. So, and, and it really stemmed from, from Tim and Catherine's experience of adopting those two kids from Haiti and wanting that those kids experience like a family like that where 
like go from like a, an illicit orphanage to, you know, a family here in Utah, a family of nine that you're just loved and you're cared for and you have all the opportunities in the world. Wanting to help facilitate that with other kids that don't have that same opportunity. And uh, so that's how children need families uh, became part of OUR is to help with that process. Mm-hmm. I always tell my son, I'm like, mom's single forever. When you're about 10, we're going to go adopt kids. And he's there like, okay, mom. There you go. Well, I know an agency when you go. Yeah. Yeah. <laughs> like I'm a single mom, but I love a lot. That's awesome. <laughs> So basically, it's just a, I mean, I'm sure that they learned a lot during that. So basically, it's just putting all of their knowledge of adopting these two kids to help other people that want to do similar things, pretty much. Yeah. Yeah. And there's, there's, you know, the people here, um, you know, I think the survivors, the the podcast is called Utah Survivors, right? Yeah. So like the people here, people here in Utah are so generous. Like they, uh, I think they, like the people here in Utah are so like I'm not from Utah, and so like my, you're from Star Valley. Yeah, I'm from a little hick from Wyoming. So yeah. like coming yeah. here to Utah, Star Valley is basically Utah. It but. basically is. <laughs> people in Utah. What I've noticed about people in Utah is they're they're very connected globally because of the church. Like people, like you just people just know people from other places. So they're mm, people call Utah sheltered, which is I, I I guess true, but they're also very well connected internationally. And so people care about like other places. Um, people in Utah are very passionate about what they do. Um, which is like, just, I love, like, it's fascinating to me. We had these people that were, they just started an insurance business. And to me, insurance is so boring. Oh, so boring. Oh my gosh. <laughs> but these guys, they were talking about it as if like, they had just like, they had captured like that comet that was flying over the earth a few months ago. Yeah. Like that was, they were talking, they like, they were so excited about it. And just people in Utah are so passionate about what they do. And then like, just, uh, they're just so generous. Like a lot of the population here gives away a certain amount of their money anyway because of their religion. And so like the, that, that spirit of generosity is just kind of, it flows through this day. And so, and there's people that like, especially with like adoption and families and kids that they want to help support that. And so um, with Tim and Kath and the knowledge that they gathered from that adoption, the experience that they had, and now like the, the life change of these two kids that have been, they've come into their home, like they want to, spread that um, to other families that want to have the same experience, but maybe just don't have the knowledge um, to where to start or the finances to make it happen. Plenty of kids that need homes. For sure. And we need to invest in the kids that are here because that's the future. Yeah. Like here in the world, not just here, Utah. Yeah. (laughs) Yeah. And I would hope that like uh, that they, that people do like, because people ask all the time of like how to make a difference for a survivor here in the United States. And it's like, man, be a foster parent. Seriously, like foster parents like we need like. There's this guy. He's my hero. He's uh he's one of our uh, law enforcement partners for Homeland Security in Central America. I have a lot of heroes in Central America. <laughs> I mean, you have spent most of your oh I know and I love it. There. Like if that's yeah. where I could if that's where I could build a home and stay forever, that's where I would. Um, I love it. But they but his guy he he he's a law enforcement official that rescued kids from trafficking and from from the United States government in California. He was rescuing all these kids. And putting him into foster care. And he was so convicted of like, man, I want to, like I'm sending all these kids into foster care. I need to do something more. I need to become part of the solution. So not only is he rescuing kids from trafficking, him and his wife signed up to be foster care parents. I love it. Yeah. And so they foster like 29 kids through their home um, during the time they were foster care parents before they moved overseas. And the last two, I may get this story wrong, but the last two kids that came through their home were these two twins. um, And they decided to adopt the the two twins that had been sexually exploited by their, I I believe their mother's boyfriend, who was a drug dealer. And now they have, they've, they've adopted from foster care and, and he like the, like this, it came like full circle. Like it was such a beautiful thing. Like he's such a beautiful person of like, 
I'm doing these rescue ops, you know, like I'm doing, and this is, this goes into the spirit of like, oh, you are as a whole Yeah, is like, you can do these rescue, rescue ops. And it's great to like, cause that's, it's built on like the, cause there's so many good nonprofits that like, like people like you guys, for example, both you guys that, that offer like legal services and resources to someone, um, like after a crime has been committed. Um, there's so many great cr- groups that like, that, uh, offer like microfinancing or spiritual, mm-hmm. um, sp- spiritual work, spiritual engagement. Um, and there needs to be a nonprofit that like stays the hand of the abuser that yes. takes the abuser off the street and, and enacts that part of justice. It's like, we need someone to stay the hand of the abuser. And you can do that, and you've 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 essentially you know rescued someone. But unless that person gets like the resources to be successful, that they have a caring environment, they get the mental health therapy they need, they give they're given the opportunity to chase their dreams, then that's when you really like see like you've rescued someone. Yeah, is when you have that happen, and that's always been kind of OUR's core of the horror. Is like yes, we can. We can remove this, per- this person from exploitation, but unless they get on a path to healing and continue on that path and give the opportunity to pursue whatever they want to pursue, then um, it's not a real rescue. Because don't they, in theory, if they don't get on that path to hearing, healing, they can fall back into this. Yeah, yeah, and we, and yeah, and it just wouldn't. I mean, what what good is that? Like, if you yeah. were, like you you, you want to rescue someone, you have to ensure that they have the chance to to pursue something else. And if they're not given aftercare, if they're not given support, then they don't, they don't have that. And so like, have we really, really rescued someone? And that's always been great about like, Oh, you heart is like, yes, we can physically remove these people from a situation of exploitation, but if they're not given the resources to continue on that path, like we haven't really rescued them. Mm-hmm. And so if like for me, I'm so blessed to work for this organization that believes so much in the investment of both of like, let's physically get these kids out and let's get them the resources to pursue their dreams because that's when the real rescue happened. Well, thank you so much for coming on. We really appreciate it. Learn more about OUR. That's really awesome. I mean, it's a homegrown Utah organization, which is really great, especially because it's been in the news a lot lately with all the different things that you guys are doing, and especially with all this new awareness towards child trafficking that's come up. Uh, and, it, and it's just really awesome to have you on and explaining all the other things that everybody kind of knows the child saving portion, but not a lot of people would know about the aftercare portion. So that's really great that it's kind of a full circle organization. Yeah, thanks for having me. I uh, I can get on a soapbox and talk about all the things that Waver <laughs> does uh, all day long, but I appreciate you guys having me on and uh, for the, the great services that you guys offer survivors of crime here in Utah as well. So glad you could join us this week. We have highlighted an amazing resource within our community. We hope that if a resource like this is ever needed, you will know where to turn or where to direct someone. Information about this week's interview can be found on our website, utahsurvivors.org. There's no power for change greater than a community discovering what it cares about. This program is supported in part by grant number 18W2025 from the Utah Office for Victims of Crime, awarded by the Office on Violence Against Women. The opinions, findings, conclusions, and recommendations expressed in this program are those of the hosts and guests and do not necessarily reflect the views of the Office on Violence Against Women, the U.S. Department of Justice, or the Utah Office for Victims of Crime. Our theme song is DNA by Najee featuring Amber Lynn.